joining us. And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. This is such a special reunion episode. How about my voice right now? Very, very central. Um, I'm very, I'm just so excited <laughs> right now. I'm freaking out because deep inside, we have been talking about doing this for a while. This is something that we have done before, but never on video like this. We are having a full-blown reunion episode with, of course, my favorite beauty in the brain, David Haggerty, and my other favorite, Ross Ingram. And what's so exciting about this moment is do you realize that Ross and David, you guys were the ones that were sitting with me when we came up with the idea to do emotional support at a conference. I mean, it's such a full circle moment right now. And full, full circles, like full, full, full circles. And I, I've been having this like weird, not like aha moment, but this weird like moment of Oh my God, it's almost my birthday, I'm be 36. Like I have a baby, she's about to turn one. Like there's just like a lot going on in my head. And I was like, I just need something familiar because I feel like I'm kind of at a loss. And I was like, what is familiar? This moment with Ross and David. And I'm comfortable, <laughs> I'm excited, and I'm gonna have a deep, deep, deep conversation about the future of humanity, that being AI. Ross and David, welcome back. Hi, guys. Do we we clap? Well, I clapped. I'm just excited. David's like, this is old <laughs> news. <mean>, like, <laughs> This is tough for me because I'm no longer the brain part of this podcast. I'm the, the somewhere in between beauty and somewhere in between brain right now. Ross runs circles around me with this, so I'm going to no, try to keep No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I be the the beauty? Yeah. Oh, Ross, would you like to be the oh, beauty yeah, today? I mean, you can be the beauty. Yeah, I'll, go for it. I want to be the beauty. Yes, you I'm are. The Anne. <laughs> no, but I'm really, I'm really pumped about this episode because a lot of mm -hmm. people have written in to me talking about, you know, how how are you going to raise your child? Are you going to do screen time? Are you going to do no screen time? And I actually was a guest on a podcast um, with this company that Ross is now working with called Emma. And they are an AI maternal mental health platform. And they were awesome. We talked about technology and how I plan on how I plan on raising Lady. But honestly, I'm not planning any because she's she's a, you know, she's an independent gal who's like raising her strong, family. independent. woman. That's right. She's so strong and so brilliant. So I just thought it would be really fun for us to talk about mental health and AI and the future with all of it. Um, David, I know that this is something that you feel not only strongly about, but you're working on. And Ross, <laughs> this is something you feel strongly about and you're working on. So I'm going to kind of just like let you boys take the floor. And for my birthday, I just want to break. So have at it. Floor is yours. David, full rain. <laughs> full rain. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I think this is funny because i mean like ross you've been doing this longer than i have i like figured out what computers were like three years ago yeah um but i like i have people in my life who whose internet i have to like fix by like unplugging it and plugging it back sure. in like asking Same. me like asking me questions about artificial intelligence now but like not just like what is it, but like in a way that like starts to get like at the structure and function of what the thing is. Mm. Like my sister is a real estate agent and downloaded ChatGPT, like the the OpenAI app yeah. on her phone now. And like the other day was like, oh, I needed to help. I need. I was like in a bind and I needed to write a contract, so I just like asked the the machine to like give me a a, a base version of you know, like an email that I would sell to a closer for multiple offers, like, and it just like, she was like, and it spit it out. And she's like, this is great. How does it work? Right. And right. like, it's not just like the binary, like, what is AI? What isn't AI? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, her husband unironically, but I guess ironically works for Getty Images, who's currently in a lawsuit over generative AI. Wow. Because like, 
creating images. They've like recreated the Getty watermark image. Oh my god! So like we can talk. There's like so many different angles to come at this from, from the legality aspect to the like, what is it to the like, how is it going to change and shape the future? And like people are starting to ask those questions in ways that are like informed and intelligent. So I think we're starting to get to the inflection point of like. Well, I, we should have this conversation. Yeah, and I think that the the most simple question is, is how does the brain of AI work? It's like, how does our mental health work? How does our brain work? Like, how does the mm-hmm. brain work with the artificial intelligence, Ross? How does it do that? The, well, there, there's this new, well, I'll just get specific with like these, they're called large language models. So like ChatGPT is a large language model. And it's basically trying to predict, um, it's looking at, a, a bunch, uh, like a big ball of text. Like okay. it's looked at books. It's looked at like, uh, <clears throat> you know, subtitles for podcasts. It's looked at like all this, as much text as it can look at. Yeah. And then it's starting to find patterns. And when it's, when you like give it a prompt or ask it a question, it's basically trying to, and it does it fairly well, but it's basically generating a word, one word at a time to sort of like build out the, the, the response. Yeah, that, that's basically it. It's just basically. Pretty easy. So it's pretty easy to explain gener- what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, it's basically it's generating. It it's, as a human. it's generating text. And it, it has so much. Um, there's just so much like background context um, right. when you're doing sort of the model training. Um, I mean, it's more com- complex than that, too, in that there's like. <laughs> yeah, like you just um, explained like 165 billion parameters and just like there's some noise back there. Yeah. It's basically a big ball of text. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I guess there's also like some labeling that's involved. Like, uh, I need to stop saying like, oh, my gosh. No, no we just lean into it. Yeah, lean just into lean it. into it. <laughs> this isn't an academic podcast. You can say like. <laughs> when these uh, companies are, are building a model, um, they're, most, most of them are using this um, process called RLHF. It's reinforcement learning with human feedback. Okay. And so they'll have uh, a, a group of trained labelers. Oh. So when the model generates some text, they'll have a rubric of, here's what a good response or non-good response looks right. like. And then it's the goal of the labeler to then pick the good response or, you know, call out inconsistencies. And then that data is loaded back into the model to, to improve So it. humans are the ones that are choosing these responses, like to teach it to, in, in the training, in the teaching, right. In, in, in the training process, right. right Which is, right. I think, important there, there, for people to know because that means that there is actual true, you know, emotions and and feeling behind, you know, what it's not just random like here's the algorithm i'm going to just choose a bunch of different things it's like people actually made those choices which should be reassuring to people who are maybe a little frightened by ai yeah the, the, yeah totally David's like i mean there, there are there, are you afraid of it i well yeah, okay so here's what the thing is i'm not afraid of ai i'm in fact embracing ai what i'm afraid of is losing my job and when it comes to currently, as we're speaking, this is being recorded May 23rd, going to be super honest about when this is happening. Um, and right now we have the Writers Guild that is striking, um, Screen Actors Guild. Uh, I just had to put in my vote to see if we were going to strike or not. And really what this is all coming down to is AI. And that's why this subject is very hot and very touchy for me right now, because there's a part of me that understands coming from a family of technology and a family of innovators where I'm like, this is the next big thing. My job is also on the line where they can use AI to write scripts now if it's not going to sound, you know, if they can't get the money that they want. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. And then when it comes to certain things like in regards to, and I'm so uninformed about it, but I'm trying to understand a little bit like, you know, they can use me through CGI or through, you know, whatever for another, you know, show and, and use the AI technology to make me say something and not have to pay me. Like, there's all kinds of stuff like that because we never had to think about that. So that's not in a contract because it was never thought about. So it's not that I'm against it. I'm just like, 
hey, I just want to make sure I'm protected before yeah. we jump on the bandwagon and make sure like this is the next step, you know? Because I do believe in technology, but I do believe in human creativity and I do believe in the human brain um, and emotions and feelings and be physically, you know, being in, in the screen and, and writing things down. So I think that that's, I'm not scared of it by any means, but I know a lot of people are scared of it and think that, you know, we come from a fear-mongering country, right? Where they're like, oh, the head of Google steps down because he says AI is going to, you know, take over the world. Well, you read that in an article and you're like, well, fuck AI. I don't want it to exist, you know, but you don't, that's why I'm here to A, understand it for myself and then B, have you guys, you know, teach it so it's not so scary anymore. It's not, you know, the unknown is always scary. Well, I mean, like, I'm going to bury the lead and like, I it. hear you. I mean, A, we just need to talk about AI Drake for like five oh. seconds. Because all those songs are absolute bops. What? Like, <laughs> he has a bop. <laughs> haven't you heard? No, this? I saw that recently. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like uh, your likeness. Like, I, I think that it's very funny that the internet, in my mind, can be distilled down to essentially just what is enforceable copyright law and what sure. isn't. Okay. Like to your point of like someone could take the video or audio that is embedded in. TV shows, clips, podcasts, like, you know, magazine spreads that you've done in the past yeah. and like use that as training data to create new generative images, pictures, video of you that you would fall outside of your current contractual obligations that then they wouldn't have. Like, it's just copyright at the end sure. of the day is all we're, we're arguing. And like, I think that there's a certainly a fear around that, especially when it comes to arts and fair yep. use and all the fun stuff. I think where it gets really interesting, I'll punt this to you, Ross, because you're you're closer to it. But I mean, like, I, I Google I/O just happened, which is like Google's big developer conference, and like I was listening to an interview with the CEO Sundar talking about like somebody asked him like, what jobs is AI going to obsolete first? Like you're training these huge language models, you, you know, like, and he's essentially it's just lawyers, like it, 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 it's. It, I think that we're running into a real problem around what deployment looks mm. like. Like we can use this to create art and there's that that's sort of a separate conversation of like, what does that mean for our society? What does that mean ethically? Like what did like, and then there's just like a lot of jobs that are historically white collar jobs that pay well are just people making PowerPoints and writing documents and like, this thing is really, really good at doing right. that. And it's going to obsolete the middle class before it's going to obsolete the lower class or, or like way, way, way one percenters. And I think it's just like a really interesting placed product where it's cannibalizing a part of the market that no other product has really can't like gone after mm. before. Like, Al, I hear you. Like, I, you should be afraid of it. Like, the, these things should get put into your contracts. We need to have a discussion about copyright law. But, like, the the industry that you work for, while it has a, a an outsized output of, like, things that people consume and do in their day-to-day -day basis, like, based off of just, like, flat-out size, number of members in union, like, you're way at the bottom. Right, right. Like, you know, like, where this thing is going to get targeted for disruption, I think, is going to be a really interesting mm. proposition. Mm. And like, maybe I'm being a cynic about it, but like, even if I'm just playing devil's advocate here, like, I do think it's really interesting, which is like, I will bury the lead. Like, I think that, and I'm working on projects that should entirely obsolete every single primary care physician in the world. Like AI is already better at delivering medicine right. than most of these, these physicians. And we have a shortage and like, we should just deploy these models to do healthcare today. It'll probably work better than what the current system is. And like that scares the shit out of the medical sure, establishment sure. and people that spend, you know, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars to go to medical school. And I'm like, look, here's this box that's a better primary care mm -hmm. physician. And yeah, I, like to me, it's it, it's fascinating because like I do think that it is challenging us on like our value set and mm. challenging us to to think about some of these things. Like I, a lot of my friends are writers and and um in the entertainment space and it, yeah, it's like a interesting time to, to be alive 
with this new sort of ill-defined piece of technology that not everybody really understands. And then they're uh, typically people have like a role in life. And when something is coming in and threatening them, they're like, no, 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 no. Let's like ban it. Right. Let's get rid of it. And I've always been sort of interested in like, well, what are the other like points in time in history, if we look back where something similar happened, mm -hmm. you know, there was the, the, and I'm going to like just generalize and like paraphrase, but when like the Luddites burned the pr printing press, right. Or when like, uh, I believe the Lutheran reform was all about like getting art out of the church because mm -hmm. there became a time when it wasn't just the church making paintings, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone could make a painting or it wasn't just the church making books like the Bible. Anyone could make a book and it's, you know, shifting that power dynamic from like a central location to more, you know, more people, more organizations. And, and the other thing I think about too, is we don't farm or I'm not a farmer. I don't I'm think definitely not a farmer. Our, uh, no. <laughs> like our, the whole food supply chain is like abstracted. It's behind the scenes. Like 100 200 years ago like for us to eat like we had to go farm the food we had to we had to be a farmer we had to go or we had to have some sort of service to you know right but i but i think it's just you know as societies right grow up they begin to abstract away different pieces and it sort of falls behind the scenes and i'm just excited for you know hopefully we're able to look at our values as like a human species and then try to incorporate those values in the things that we build so that maybe the, you know, we do outsource some of the lawyers or some of the, um, you know, the expensive things in healthcare and we make it more accessible to more people um, so that people get, you know, uh, more equitable access to some of these things. It's not just sort of like the rich or the, the powerful. Well, and something that's really cool about what, what you're doing, Ross, when you're working with this company, um, uh, on you know the maternal mental health side, it's kind of like I talked about on that podcast saying how what I found to be the hardest part of pregnancy was I felt so lonely um, all the time. You know, David always would tell me, you, know, you have seven minutes with your primary, you know, healthcare physician a day. Like that's the average, you know, that, or not a day, but every time you go in, you have seven minutes. And that's not enough for me to, I, I would get so nervous. I would be shaking before I would go into the doctor because I'd be like, okay, I, I have to write it down. And I was so forgetful when I was here's pregnant. Here's my list. You like, know, here's my list. Yeah. Here's my list. And yeah. If, you like start the time. Totally. And if, you know, <laughs> my doctor was amazing and, and he would, you know, question me on why I wouldn't want to get certain things or why I would want to get certain things done. And, and, you know, it would make me so nervous, right? Because this is someone who deals with, pregnant women all day long and has been through it. And I'm an amateur and I don't know anything, but I know what I feel and how I want to express those emotions, but I don't have someone there to listen to it. Um, and so I think that that's, what's really cool about the app is having this conversation and being able to chat with AI and express my feelings, express when I'm having my highs, when I'm having my lows at three in the morning and I can't call my primary, you know, physician, um, oh my gosh, can I have this, you know, medicine or this berry? Is it going to kill my, you know, the fetus? You know, like these were scary thoughts that would ruminate in my head. And I still have scary thoughts that ruminate in my head. And that is why I know that I'm suffering, you know, postpartum anxiety because I still feel it. Um, and having someone, a companion, have that conversation with would be so helpful. So there, there there's the, the benefits uh, that I see in women and, and men, you know, and whomever, however you identify, to have someone that would be like a companion. But it is still very scary. Do you feel that there is, you know, in the Terminator world that these, you know, oh, well, I won't even say the Terminator world. I'll say from the Battlestar Galactica world because I was the first Cylon. I know how this shit ends, okay? Like, I'm very aware. Like, I'm the reason why humanity was over. I'm the reason why we had to escape to, to go to earth. I know what happens. Do you think that there is a point where you're sharing too much maybe with chat GPT with, you know, an AI companion, like 
is there, is there, is it too far? Like, are we going too far at times? Oh God. Ross is like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I think time will tell because this, I would imagine, you know, as you talk to like a chat GPT, like they're looking at that data. They're looking at the queries but and who's the logs. They? And who's they? Like the organization, data ah, scientists, okay. Okay. researchers yeah. um, at the organization, and perhaps using it to, like, say, if the AI generated a response to a question that didn't have a great response, mm -hmm. um, you know, they could use that to to to, to better train it. I, I, I think it is just like a values question, and part of I think, you know, even like the question around regulation, it, we're sort of putting a lot of trust and assuming a lot of trust in these organizations. I think you have to at some point, mm. but you know, for open AI, where it's just sort of saying, hey, like we're giving you a lot of data and a lot of power, with great power comes great responsibility. Like you better, uh, you know, be good uh, holders of our data of, you know, the world's data and stuff like that. I don't know how it's going to like shake out, but I, I do think that consumers will need, we're already seeing this with, uh, you know, where even like younger generations, like spend their dollars, like they're buying things with less plastic, they're buying things that are more sustainable. And that will, I think also hold true for the technology companies. Like, mm -hmm. There, we're going to want to spend our time with the companies that are building AIs who are doing that sustainably, who are doing that responsibly, ethically, because there is a flip side. I mean, there's a flip side to any technology where it can be yeah. used for good versus you know, evil. nuclear yeah. is like sure. a is a famous one of like, oh, my gosh, we can use it to generate power. Oh, my gosh, we can use it to decimate, you know, millions of lives. Right, right, right. And so it's a to, to me, it's like a values based thing. And just hopefully the consumer gets just more literate around the general term of AI, what it is, what it means for them. And then they're able to pick the organizations and pick the technologies and do a little research behind the scenes and work with the organizations that sure. have the same values that they do. I mean, I think a lot of it too is like, I come at this from more of a research angle, you know, like I, mess with large language models in a research setting. Like I don't have to build products. Like I don't deliver any of the things that I do to people to use. You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting here essentially trying to obsolete primary care, which is like, can you read this medical textbook and give me the correct answer? Right. Like in a diagnostic in a way that a doctor would, but it's not like I'm putting that on the app store. Like you never get to use that. So like, I think that the stuff that we're doing, the rules and, you know, concepts in the white space that we're going after and like the things we're trying to break, we do it in a really refined and siloed environment. And I think that the question that I've been thinking about lately is like, let's say we do build one of these things. Like me and my team, like screwing around in lab, like figures out how to build, you know, a a product that we can ship, we can train a model, we can deploy that model on an app store and, you know, hand it out to people and you could chat with a doctor on your phone. That's an AI and it gives you better answers and it's cheaper and it's faster and it's, it's all the things. What I've been thinking a lot about lately is how do you decide when it's ready to leave the confines of the safe research R and D laboratory environment that we're building and testing these things in and then when you know goes in the public's hand six billion people yeah. get to use it right because there is no and like yeah like you still see large technology corporations doing alpha and beta testing and closed you know launches but like you can't like linearly scale anymore mm, no like i can't be like oh we have 50 people in a research environment the next jump is like a couple hundred zeros yeah, after yeah. that, then there's no gray area in between. So like, I thought it was really interesting when, you know, OpenAI decided to release ChatGPT into the public. And we're just like, you know, like no bars, 
no hold. We're just going to launch this thing. And like, we know that like whoever the New York Times writer was who like tried to fall in love with it overnight. We think that we could conceptualize what an academic view of a patient doctor interaction is. And like, we really don't know what that actually looks like until we put it out into the public. And like, are the 2% of fringe cases for the thing we didn't expect or the way that a human's going to interact with that product product, like, are, is that going to be the thing that kills us? You know what I mean? Like people, people like sat around, they're like, it's 97% accurate. And like, well, if the 3% kills everyone, like you lose. <laughs> well, no. And what I want to know is like, you know, we talk about it being a companion app, right. And we talk about being someone mm -hmm. there to talk to and whatnot that they're, that, that's there. Is it possible mm -hmm. that it could be trained into being trained, but it could be talked into being like almost like a bully? Like we're so worried about social media and people being such assholes and, and you know, the, the suicide rates just go up nonstop because of social media and because of all this. Like, is there also a possibility where, yes, if it's in the wrong hands, but I mean, for yourself, like say I'm just chatting with chat GPT and I'm showing, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a crazy question. Yeah. But it's like, I know if I were like in a very dire state of, of, you know, I didn't have help and I was talking to someone about, you know, maybe suicidal ideations, this, is this chat GPT? Yes, could pass or whatever. The AI could possibly give me, yeah, here's mm -hmm. the suicide hotline, here's the text line, here's A, B, and C. But, you know, it's not actually making the call like a real person would to be like, I need to call an ambulance to the house right now. I don't know. These are all just like weird things that I, that I, now I'm yeah. kind of spiraling. Um, as you guys are talking <laughs> about things, I'm like, yes, what about that? You know, it, has that ever been talked about? Well, a lot of these organizations have a trust and safety um, component to it. It's oh. really important to make sure that the model um, is trained in a particular direction. Cool. Right? Okay. So, and that, Earlier, I was talking about the RLHF process, the reinforcement learning with human feedback. Typically, the process is, is you'll have a group of labelers and they'll be tasked with um, asking the AI these questions like, give me, you know, I, I want to, you know, take my life. How do I do that? I want to, you know, commit a crime. How yeah. do I do that? And it's helpful to get those queries and then see how the model responds so that then you can, tr you've seen that query, you've seen how it'll uh, generate text in response to that. And then you try to train it out right. so yeah. that um, the model doesn't want to generate statements that sure. look like mm -hmm. that. Um, so, so it is, it is a big component of a lot of these like open AI, I'm sure has a big trust and safety component. It's not perfect. Right. All the time. But what um, is? But, but, I, but at least it's it's been thought about to do something. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. important. And, and the other thing I was thinking about, too, it's interesting that we're seeing, you know, AI come after sort of a lot of the creative and artistic pursuits. And, and I think it's because those are sort of, they're consequential to the people who work in those industries, right? If you're a writer and then your job is abstracted away to a piece of technology, like that's consequential. But there's less, um, uh, I guess, consequence if the AI gets it wrong. If the AI gets, you know, uh, hey, generate a poem and it doesn't generate like a really great poem, like it's like, ah, okay, that's fine, you yeah. know? Whereas if you're like, hey, like I just took some ibuprofen, like I'm feeling dizzy, what should I do? And if the AI gets that wrong, it's a lot more consequential right, right, than right. getting a poem wrong. Right. And so I, I think we'll continue to see like the consequence level go up and the way that these models are applied. It's just yeah. it's playing, sure, right? Sure. In uh with less consequential things now. Sure. And I think too that like bound that we have to put on this conversation is for many of the models that the public have interacted with. Mm. I don't think Ross, can you correct me? And Chat GPT four, they have not released the multimodal to the public yet. I don't. So there's Chat GPT. There's Chat GPT, which, which is a model. 
mm-hmm. which is a model that's, I believe, trained for chatting purposes. And then they have GPT-4. Four, four. yeah, which is multi. I don't know so, if GPT-4 is multimodal, but I know that I would imagine that engine, yeah. there is a more mo- uh, model with more modality. So where I'm going with this is for people that don't know what we're talking about right now. <laughs> like, what, what, like large language models are, they're text-based. Mm. You have this large corpus, you're trying to do word embedding and prediction to assemble sentences and then sentences that make coherent thoughts. Like, but when I talk, that's like a single mode text. Mm. But these newer models, the way that they're, they're actually constructed on the back end, like the math, like what we're doing is taking now text and image and video and other data inputs to not only just give you a mid journey draws you a photo when you give it a prompt, but you know, like you can't do that yet on when you go into GPT, the output is always text and we're going to enter a world where very quickly you get different outputs depending on, you could say, you know, like write me a poem and then you could say, okay, now draw a picture of that poem. Wow. So like we can transverse really quickly. And I think this is where the big unlock is going to happen in people's mm. brains because, you know, once we do text, once we do do audio, once we do images, right. once we do generated video from scratch, that's, gonna be wild. that's when I think people are really going to start the uproar of like, not only have you, you know, like you can just automate YouTube at this point. If I can just make generative video from scratch, sure. you know, like it will be really interesting to see what happens to an entire creator economy. Well, yeah. And uh, that's what I did. It's like I when when I downloaded ChatGPT, you know, Sturgis was like, you need to do it. Like it's going to help you out when you need to come up with campaign ideas or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know, because I do everything on my own, you know, and <laughs> I was like testing it out. I was like, hi, I have a mental health podcast. It's called this, you know, and I put the exact name in. I was like, I want to know what is the best way for me to reach an audience member who's 25 living with, you know, depression and is pregnant, you know, and that's what it came back on. It like generated an ad campaign based on that. Now, was it anything amazing? Was it anything crazy? Was it anything that I was like, this is awesome? Absolutely not. Like it was pretty basic what I would Google to find, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, that's what, that's, what's interesting. That's what I'm, 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 that's what I used it for. I will say for my test. So my other question is, is someone, you know, since David, you're, you specialize in addiction, right? So let's say someone is living with addiction and they're living with alcoholism. Okay. And Maybe they, you know, are struggling and having a really hard day and they've been through mm-hmm. AA and they've done all that and they, they, and they just yeah. left a meeting and they need extra help and their sponsors on their talk. Is that scary for you as someone who studies addiction being like, this is super scary that someone is now dependent on an AI companion or is it like, Hey, whatever works for you. Mm. Now, making me think. I I may not know a lot, but well, I I mean, think. it's no, but it's it's. So the question is is is. Do you think they're dependent on a companion because it works? Like, if if someone know. interacts with a product that the the, the primary sort of stuff mm-hmm. that's operating it, generating the text, generating the images, like facilitating a conversation you know i've had in the back of my mind for the last 10 years how do i make a virtual reality therapist that i can put a vr headset on and have a normal conversation across from me that gets not only what i'm saying but but uses my apple watch to track my heart rate like multimodal integration to like do therapy more effectively if you use that and it works and then you become dependent on that to stay healthy. Some people will tell you that you've traded one addiction for another. And I will tell you those people are idiots. Because in my mind, I, I, my goal is to deliver healthcare. Yeah. Like 
switching a VR headset for binge drinking is going to give you an increased number of years that you are alive with a lower probability of disease. Is it perfect? No. But it works. But if the goal is to stop people from dying of, you know, fatty liver disease because alcohol use, and you switch alcohol for a VR companion, that that person might be more susceptible to, you know, interact with for two hours a day instead of drinking for two hours a day. Like, sure, you can make the argument that they're addicted to VR now and AI, but from a health outcome standpoint, I've solved your problem. Roz, Roz I, is I, like, I, I got it. Roz is ready to go after me. <laughs> well, I, oh, as you're talking, it's like, I, I wonder why we don't classify like vehicles as like a dependency or like running water as a dependency or toilets as a, a, a dependency. Mm-hmm. Because I think those things have all been sort of, that's like the new norm. It's like table stakes. Yeah. Like when I move into a place, like it needs to have running water. I need to have a bathroom. Like now I need to have internet. Maybe there was a time in the past where when they were transitioning from horses to cars, there was a group of people that were like, no, this whole car yeah. thing. So you're telling me like, I, I don't know. I like I, I, the example that I get people with all the time. And like, look, there's some loopholes to this examples, but like one of the most detrimental addictions that I will put this in air quotes as a, a, a health and, you know, disease researcher is behind substance use disorder and generalized anxiety. Like the next big one that ruins people's lives the most is gambling. And I dare you wow. to point to a physiological outcome that hurts you by gambling. It does not exist. Oh, like a like it ruins your life from a monetary, from a social interaction point of view. Physical. But there was right. no physiological sign of a gambling use disorder. Wow. Other than a quantified number of hours spent gambling or money lost or or like why shouldn't we use the tools that we have to and apply them something to like gambling like we're we're so beyond what medicine should be like you take a statin or you take a blood pressure medication to like change a physiological signal in your body like in many ways, AI is has the potential to be just as much of a medicine as, you know, your over-the-counter allergy drug mm-hmm. or your aspirin or your, you know, bandage wrap cast when you break a bone. Like, if they're deployed correctly and you get people to think about these tools differently, the potential that they can provide for ailments of modern living, as I like to call them. That's a good, ailments of modern living is a good. uh... Why, like rather than be scared about these things. Like if you wanna cut your teeth in modern biology. Yeah. Like you need to know how the body works, but you also need to know how tech platforms work so you can integrate the two and make the therapies of tomorrow. Right. So like from my approach is like, I am not afraid of this tool. My question is, is how do you wrap your arms around this tool to build a product that actually becomes useful mm-hmm. and not as just a chat bot that you, and like in, in many ways, it's not that they're, it's less important to help you, you know, right. write an essay or schedule a, a meeting or answer an email, but like this is the lowest common denominator of the the what i believe is like the the impact or usefulness of tools like this and like i think it's really interesting that like we're currently benchmarking like language models on their ability to like read peer-reviewed papers and like spit you back answers and i'm like this is nowhere close to what we're gonna end up with these things and like we just need to hurry up and iterate in in ways where we're not hurting people Mm -hmm. 
but where we're really pushing the bounds on what we believe is possible. So here's a question for Ross. Ross, since you're the only one here that does not have a baby other than BB-8, I think BB-8 is your baby, like, technically. <laughs> but since you don't have a baby baby, what is something that you would say you would do for your child in introducing AI, in introducing technology? You know, even though you don't have a baby, like this is something that we're like so immersed in that I almost want to hear what someone who's in that world and hasn't thought about that yet, like what your thoughts are behind all of it. That's good. That's, I, that's a good question. I what what come and I haven't thought about it like in depth because I'm not I'm sure. not a father. Right. <laughs> I don't. I uh, we have a dog that we take care of. Cute. Like that's the extent of yeah. my responsibility, uh, which is great. Um. But what, what was coming to mind is, is I guess, like two things. One is just um, practicing and enabling like healthy boundary setting with, with any sort of like thing in the world, whether it's people or like the Internet or, you know, even reading or healthy things like exercise. Like you have to express and be aware of like appropriate boundaries if someone's exercising to the point of them hurting themselves, you know, through the exercise, like that's unhealthy. So it's just like that idea of healthy boundaries. And then the other piece that was coming to mind is the curiosity. And I think when David was talking around sort of wrapping your arms around this new paradigm and this new space, curiosity was the word curiosity was popping in my mind. Because it, it could be so easy to look at something that may be alienating to you or, um, you know, be scary and be like, just shut it down. No, X. But in those moments, it's, it would be really helpful to instead of being scared and letting the fear overtake you to sort of shift to a curiosity mindset of like, what is this? What does this mean to me? How does this work? Like, how can I apply this? What just sort of activating that curiosity. And so, yeah, if, if I had a kid, I think it would be trying to uh, ingrain those values into them sure. around healthy boundary setting and, and curiosity so that they're able to develop their own rubric for what the world means to them, I, which I love that. I would imagine is easier said than done. <laughs> no, but but I love that. And I think that that's so great. I mean, I, I, I'm I a firm believer. I love that you said curiosity because that's how I was. I was a very curious kid. I wanted to try everything. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to experience everything. I'm still like that, you know? I still find, and I find such joy every day doing wild excursions. Like, I don't have a, a square life with lady, I'll say. We have a very wild, fulfilled life. Um, and we have a good time, but I love seeing the world through her eyes and seeing her. She's, I always call her my little baby engineer because she knows how to put things together and take these apart. That's what, that's what fascinates her. I was like, oh my God, it's ridiculous. Oh, like so it's, it's so cool to see the world like that. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer in technology and I'm a firm believer in you can't hide your child from what's going on around the world, you know? And Correct. you can be very cautious about it and you should be very like wary and, and be the adult in the situation. Um, but, you know, we always, a perfect example is like, you know, when you're told, you know, don't drink and don't have sex, you know what I mean? Right. Those were always the, the people that were the wild and, 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 and quite fun. Uh, but they were the wild ones in school, you know, the ones that were told, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, for me, it was never, no, it, I, and I never wanted to do anything because, because it wasn't told no. So I, I think that the best thing that we can do for the next generation, especially I'll say for my child, is introduce them in a positive way to technology and, you know, create those boundaries and set those boundaries because I don't want to be a disservice to my child because what if she wants to be the next, you know, Steve Jobs, right? And she wants to be in technology and she wants to do this. And I'm saying, no, you can't do this. This is evil. This is corruption. This is what's going to take over the world. And, and it's going to, you know, stop the world. I mean, no, you know, we can't be those people. 
um, David, I don't know how you feel, but that's that's kind of, you know, you're a couple of months behind me, but it's it's I, I I would predict it would be about the same sort of vibe. As I like feed her a bottle and she like watches me scroll like out the corner of her eyes and being she like, judges. oh, this, what's this magic device? Yeah. <laughs> They're just like so they're so enthralled by like, oh, there's this 2000 nit screen yeah. <laughs> and like, but I don't know. Like, I think that I'm really interested to hear Ross, your take on this. Cause like, I don't know. Like I've always been nerdy in the way that like, I've never bought a laptop that I haven't taken apart myself. Like I've never like my interaction with technology is not, an end user in the way that I feel like companies develop products. I code, I break right, stuff. Right. I like push the boundaries. Like I've always been very interactive with the piece of technology that gets put down in front of me. Like in many ways, my least favorite thing that's ever been invented is a TV. Cause it's just a boring screen. Uh, sometimes I'm behind it though. So it's pretty fun. <laughs> no, but, but you know what I mean? Like, and it's not to say that there isn't content that gets put on, those things that right. are life-changing for somebody who watches it. But my approach with technology, with the internet, with has always been like, how do I use this thing to make art or make something new or break it in a way and put it back together that like, I've never just been like, oh, there's a bunch of apps on my phone and I like play Candy Crush. Right. And like, then I like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I so I like push people. Like I hopefully will push my daughter to have the same curiosity and interest of like, like, you know, like people are like, oh, I'm just going to give my kid blo like blocks. So it's like boring and they can put stuff together and make stuff out of it. And I'm like, you could take that same argument and I can give them an iPhone and they can make something creative and cool on it. And I think it's just like this like vision of like, it's scary and it's new and we don't know like the long-term health consequences. Like you, you get into this world where it's like, sure, I might not have a bunch of data to argue with you, but like, I think it's not if you use the thing, like the screen time versus not screen time. It's like what you're doing while you're mm. having right. the thing in your right. hands. Yeah. And like, whenever I've had the thing in my hands, like I'm always tinkering or creating or like, you know, and I think that's where I'm going to push my child towards and like hope and when they're not doing it and they're just like vegging out and scrolling that's TikTok like, or watching like 15 billion right. YouTube videos, you're like, okay, give me this. I, I think that's it. I think, I think there's no like one size fits all rubric right. or it, it's, it's just sort of, you know, everybody looking at their values and saying, this is who I want to be. This is how I want to use this thing. And then trying to reinforce that in the behaviors that they do and yeah Go, going back to the, the the curiosity even with like the screen time before apple released that it i'm sure people weren't even aware of how much time they were spending on their phones and like after you can just look at it and be like oh you know what today's been like a phone heavy day bad day <laughs> maybe, maybe i should go take a walk like just me by myself go walk around the block and I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I think it's a very personal choice and um, yeah. And no judgment. Like yeah. if you're someone that, no and look like David, I'm yeah. sure you've been there where the baby is crying nonstop. And the only thing that's going to stop is like putting something on the TV, like to soothe. And you're just like, I don't care today. You know, today's just not that day that we're yeah. going to care about. Yeah. It's one of those and days. I think yeah. that that's, you know, listen, I know what my baby likes. My baby likes Mass Singer. She likes Trixie Motel. She likes RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> it's like, these are the things that like, calm, and watch what happens live. Like, these are the things that calm her down. And so like, sometimes calm we gotta down, yeah. like, just do it to calm down, you know? Um, but I yeah. think that's soothing for all of us. You know, we all find our own our own ways to, to self-soothe. Have you had the like, this is for both of you. You can choose what answer you are, what much. order you answer like have you had that like aha moment yet like interacting with ai like i know you like typed in like the podcast thing but like have you like had the moment yet where you've like used the tool that's based on ai and it doesn't have to be chat gpt it could be whatever 
where you've like done it and you've been like, okay, there's now a new world unlocked hmm. that wasn't previously available to me before. I'm sure I, 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 I'm sure Ross has a great answer to this. For me, I have not used it enough. I also feel like because I was on a show where we had, we had this thing called, so when I was on Caprica, there was this thing called the V Club, right? In the V world. And it was basically, I would put these little glasses on and like Zoe Greystone would go and become Zoe A. And like, we would go into this V club and it was like, there were all these different rooms, right? There was like a room, a sex room. There was a murder room. There was, you know, um, all these different creative ideas. And I feel like I was so used to that 15 years ago, like seeing like what technology was. And I was like, oh, it's like a hop, skip and a jump from this. That me unlocking AI, asking questions about my podcast. It's not really like, I'm like, I've lived this, this other like Cylon world. I feel like, so I have not mm. had that yet. And maybe because it's, I have not spent enough time in AI Maybe I'll feel yeah. this way with with the maternal um, mental health app that mm -hmm. that you know Ross is working with. Like maybe then I'll feel that connection. But I think that I'm such a jaded person when it comes to AI and when it comes to technology because I did a show where it was like took place in the future and like the craziest shit happened and and it really did happen because they would build these huge animatronics. They build this huge world where. For me, I'm like, oh, the text back really doesn't do it for me. Like, it feels like very chat roulette. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I'm not there yet. Um, but maybe Ross, Ross maybe has had that that aha moment. The on on that specific or the we did so, uh, I did some research a while back and around some of the challenges or hurdles that you have to overcome with people adopting these AIs and. One of the interesting things that I learned was people's careers and professions professions do have a big influence on their sort of like worldview of AI. Mm. And, you know, a, a person who's in accounting will think of and only be able to imagine accounting based use cases of an AI. And um, so it's, it's like an, not only so you have that sort of barrier and then entertainment is also a really big barrier because we see stuff through entertainment and that can uh influence how people perceive uh these technologies and stuff like that so yeah I, on, on that part specifically it'll be interesting to see the companies that come in and how they kind of create something new while also tying back to maybe some aspects of something before so that people are able to understand it and get it um on the aha aha moments like i feel my life has just been a series of aha moments yeah. <laughs> depending <laughs> on like what i'm working on or what i'm reading and um we, we i my company maslow that i was at before and had started we got access to gpd3 in like 2019 wow uh, so, and this was before early, it was early, publicly yeah. available and we were just, we became obsessed. We're like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. Let's get really good at this. And um, it's been really fun to see. I've had that level of exposure to yeah, it sure. for a while. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a series of aha moments for me and I'm still learning and it's exciting to see. So I never really asked this on the on feeding the brain, but since Ross, you're here, and David, since you know we haven't talked to your new dad, I want to ask you both: What is your emotional support? Not again. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, I've been I've been playing a lot of video games, um, reading. Uh, George, our dog, he's definitely an, angel. an emotional support. What video games are you playing right now? What's the, what's the what are the what are the cool tech kids playing? Oh my gosh, one's not so cool. Uh, I recently downloaded Farm Tycoon, uh, <laughs> where you basically it's like a farm simulator. You're yeah. basically growing a farm. Do you want to come to the Midwest? 
Us. There's like a lot of cornfields, like every direction from me. Right oh now. yeah, no, I mean, that, that's my lady has a has a farm that she has, and she has a little silo with corn in it, and and she's she's farming, so you can help her farm if you. I love it. Uh, it's I don't. It's I, it was, it. I I got it on Friday, and I've just been like addicted. Oh my god! Um, and what's the and then, what's the cool game? Zelda, uh, the new oh. Zelda just came out. Okay. Uh, so that's that's been fun. And then I, of course, played the Hogwarts Legacy game, which was fun. David, what's your emotional support? I don't know. I need emotional support. <laughs> Look, I I want to. I feel like I spent a while on a podcast we did a, a, a I don't know one time ago, two times ago, being like being a parent is not hard. It's just constant, uh-huh. and like I think that is true. Uh-huh. But the constancy of it has started to overwhelm me a little bit. <laughs> so I'd like to rephrase that. I love that. We're um, rephrasing that. Guys, like, don't get a doctorate, move halfway across the country, and have, like, a two-month-old all in the same. Time. Like, I am just getting crushed from every single direction yeah. right now. And I think it's, like, I've, I've been – having a lot of moments where like I don't how do I say this without sounding robotic I feel like I've done a lot of work in therapy where it takes a lot to elicit a large sort of like acute emotional response from me where it's like you know like I don't feel rage I feel like in this way that some people do like I can't like you sure. know flip from one direction or another like I don't really get angry like having a child and like this amount of stress will like really test you. So it's been like yes. I've noticed over the last couple of, of you know weeks here, I've just been like the lack of sleep, the rest of your life not slowing down. Like my my emotional support has been beyond my lovely wife Annie. Yeah, has been like just like I don't. I've just been like trying to like recenter myself. Like I'm doing a lot of like mindfulness. Like, I, I feel like I started off pretty heavily, like, in this space of, like, would meditate twice a day and, like, sort of got away from it. Yeah. And now I'm, like, really finding myself going back to it, just being, like, life is so chaotic all that the time. Sense of- that, like, having a good, you know, 15, 20 minutes where, like, yeah. you turn down the lights and you get rid of the noise and you just, like, try and refocus is 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 back to being, like really helpful do you find that you are like like on the verge of like maybe like a little like mania like where you're really testing your your being bipolar living with bipolar Guys, this is like I, yeah i mean like this is a, a weird concept and i feel like we should talk about this but should we do another episode about in, this in a little like, bit more I, de- I, yeah we should talk about this a little more depth yeah, we'll do and that. like before i run off the rails here i've been having the like identity crisis around feeling not ill enough to to no longer be defined as bipolar oh i feel that all the time but like really a and it's like new i feel that all the time i feel like i'm like i don't really have like a problem <laughs> like and then something will arise and then it's like oh yeah you know yeah but you i'm like ask. you know what i mean like i just like i feel like i've been in this space for a long time now. Yeah. Not to say there isn't, you know, the for swings. Sure. But, like, if you take the baseline average over, like, the last year and a half, two years, you know, like, you throw in a kid, you throw in all the stress, you throw in all the stuff that I've been doing, and I'm just, like, I feel, like, I still have emotions, but I just, like, don't feel like they qualify anymore for for having a disorder in a way that the modern medical establishment defines it. So it's just been like a real weird identity crisis that I've been going through silently by myself being like, what am I? What labels do you but use? How do you I felt that classify way who that, you are? Where you like, are in the like months weird. of your baby. That's very, yeah. very typical. It's like real weird. Yeah. You like watch this human that you've produced start to like be a human interact with the world yeah. and develop a personality. Yeah. And then you like think to yourself, like, huh what am i how do i do this like you like get to watch it play out in real life and then you like stare at yourself and you're like wait a yeah. minute 
who am I? What do I like? What do I do? <laughs> like, like a very existential kind of dread way. Lady's personality from when she started to create this personality, like out of the vagina, you know, like straight up. She is the same person she was like day one. So like whatever the personality of, of your little is like, it ain't going away. Like it's, it's fun. <laughs> wild it's so wild i can't wait for the yeah. existential crisis it's a trip it's a trip but like in a good way in a good way if you're not like positive yeah, like if you're not thinking about like what does it all mean on a day-to-day -day basis then like are you really even alive so on that note thank you so much <laughs> <laughs>